why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Titus. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, we have ushers who are coming up right now who would love to get a Bible into your hands. So you can turn to the book of Titus. If you don't own a Bible, for sure throw your hand up, grab one of these and take it home as our gift to you and turn to the book of Titus. Titus chapter one is we're gonna be this morning, starting in verse five. Now there are sometimes when, when, I'm, when I'm done preaching and, I, and, I, and I'm you know, praying with people after the service or shaking hands or whatever, we're talking and there are times where people will say, wow, man, that sermon, man, I don't, I don't know what, what, what you're doing in your week of preparation, but man, that was right for me. Like, like you hit me hard and, and I love how the Holy Spirit does that. I'm not smart enough to make that happen, all right? And how the Spirit can just, can hit you sometimes. Here's something I, I say a lot though when people say that, wow, that hit me hard. I'll say this, I've been studying it all week. It's been wrecking me for the week too. So, so that when I, I preach, I'm I'm not just preaching to you, I'm preaching to myself. And then the word's changing me, praise God. But here's something for this morning. This morning, this sermon is, is really mostly directed to me. It, it's, it's to pastors and elders. And so, so what I'm gonna do this morning, I'm gonna, I'm gonna preach to myself, I'm gonna invite myself up for prayer, I'm gonna tell myself I'm loved, and then you all can go home, all right? That's how it's gonna work. That's, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Here, here. Here's why this is an important message for all of us to listen to. Yeah, the scripture this morning is directed towards pastors and, and elders, but there are a couple reasons why we, we all need to be, be listening in on this. And, and here's the first, leadership is important. Leadership's so important. Look at verse five. Paul says this to Titus, a church planter he's left on the island of Crete. He's left him behind. They've done some evangelism and he's wanting him to plant churches. And he says this in verse five, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order so, so, so all the people that, are, that have been evangelized, you, you need to organize churches now. And he says this, and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. He says, every place you plant a church, you, you gotta raise up elders, appoint elders. Not one, it's not, not one pastor, it's not Titus, you lead the show. No, every time you see elders mentioned in scripture in relation to church, it's always a group of elders. It's a plurality of elders. He says, it's important that you would do this. You would, you would plant these churches with leadership. Leadership is important. In scripture, you see the word for elder. Even in this passage we're gonna read, we see two words. Elder is one word. Overseer, another word. You see the word pastor used in scripture. All three words describing the same position of elder. When God lays out how to plant churches, it begins with good leadership. Why is that? Because most problems in most churches can be directly traced back to bad leadership, where, where bad doctrine is preached, where, where, where sin is not dealt with, where people are not loved well or led well. And, and so, so when we first started Harvest and we were just meeting as a small group of people in a living room, praying that God would, would do something to, to, to raise up a church in our community, we started here saying, what does God's word say about how to, how to set up a church? Let's not, let's not look at, at business gurus. Let's not look at, at marketing experts. But what does God's word say about how a church should look? I mean, if we did church just like it says here in scripture, what would it look like? How would we care for each other? How would we, how would we reach into our communities? And, and we're asking, how would we set up leadership? What would that look like? And what do we see here in scripture? Well, tell you what we see, as you, as you read Titus 1, you can, you can read 1 Timothy 3, where, where the same kind of uh, lists are given for this is what your leadership should look like. Here's where it begins. It begins with Jesus Christ. 
Jesus Christ, he, he's, he's God in the flesh. He, he lived without sin. He, he lived the perfect life that we should have lived. Then he, he died a death in our place, paying for our sin. The penalty of God's wrath poured out on him. He rose again to conquer sin, to conquer death, to conquer Satan, to conquer ourself, and, and that salvation is in him and him alone. That's the bedrock. And you're going to see in this letter to Titus, Paul comes back to that over and over and over again. So even as he's talking about leadership, he's saying, man, that leadership needs to be built on this foundation, the foundation of Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. In fact, look at verse 9, talking about an elder in a church. It says this, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. What's the sound doctrine he's talking about? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything flows from this. I mean, if, if you have sound doctrine, it means you understand who Jesus is, and, and out of understanding that truth of the gospel, healthy living comes. Healthy families are built. Healthy leaders are developed. Healthy communities are grown. Healthy churches are planted. I mean, it might, it, might, it might seem so elementary. Well, of course we start with Jesus. I'm telling you, not everybody does this. Not every church does this. When we first launched our church, I, I got involved. There was a, a, a weekly spiritual discussion and debate night that happened at a coffee shop, a local coffee shop. And so I, I went to one of those. Actually, I went to a bunch of them. But I, I remember showing up at the first one, and, and people were all introducing themselves in the circle. And there was one guy who said, I pastor a church here. And I'm thinking, sweet, I got another guy who is at least on the same page. With the, when we started discussing spiritual things, we were talking about God's word that night. Is it reliable? This guy starts ripping it apart, saying, no, it's not. You can't base your life on this old book, he says. And I'm like, really? I said, but, but what do you do with Jesus then? Because this book's all about him and that's who we, who we base our lives on. And he goes, well, I mean, you can't really be sure that Jesus really rose from the dead. And I'm thinking, are you for real? You're not on the same page. You're not on the same team. Everybody who uses the title pastor that doesn't mean they're all on the same foundation. In fact, here's the crazy part. It was a few years later, as our church was growing, that another leader from the same church called me and said, hey, why are all the young people in your church, all the young families seem to be going, could you tell me how you attracted young families? My first thought was, not a chance. <laughs> like, you don't even believe in Jesus. Like, you're on your way to hell. Why would I line people up behind you, right? But he, here's what I said instead, because I'm not that bold. I said this. I said, well, well, we don't really do much. We just preach Jesus. We preach Jesus crucified and rose again. We open up God's word and just say, here's God's word, plain and simple. Here's what God's word says. And, and he says, no, 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 for real. What do you do? Literally. He said, is it, is it the drums and the electric guitar? I'm thinking this isn't hard. Like Jesus is the huge E on the I chart, right? Like that's the, the simple one to see. All the other letters are small. They're just details. Like if you miss Jesus, you miss the whole thing. So listen, leadership is very important. You want to be sure you have a good understanding of what God says about what, what are the distinctives of a transformed leader, of a leader immersed in the gospel. You want to be careful about who you follow. 
Here's another reason why I think it's important for all of us to, to jump in on, on reading what this passage says, because this, everyone is called to this. We're going to look at what, what are the distinctives of a, of a transformed leader, of a godly leader. What are the distinctives of an elder in a church? And, and what you're going to find out as you, as you hear these things, you're going to go, wow, those just sound like what a mature Christian should be. Those, those could almost be set up as here's a, a checklist for my own life to go, how is my heart doing following Christ? How, how would I evaluate my life spiritually as a Christ follower? So, so this is an important sermon for all of us. Let, let me read verses five to eight for you. It says this, it says, this is why I left you in Crete, so you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and able to rebuke those who contradict it. If you're taking notes this morning, here's our first main point, it's this. We wanna talk about a transformed leader's character. A transformed leader's character. In fact, right away, you look at the first qualification for, hey, is this person able to be a pastor or an elder? And he says this, if anyone is above reproach, he says it in verse six, he repeats it again in verse seven, is he above reproach? Now, here's what this word means. It is a big blanket term that stopped Paul from having to write down all the stupid things that a pastor could do to disqualify himself for ministry. That would take too long. The Bible would be a really big, long book if he had to write out everything. Hey, what about this? What about when it, so he just said, hey, tell you what, just live your life above reproach. It means, it means unaccused. It means when somebody looks in on your life, that somebody either from inside the church or even those outside the church looking in on you, they would say, yeah, that's a leader worth following. There's nothing about their life that I would say, man, man that's not something I would want to follow. That person shouldn't be a leader. And it's why here at Harvest that there are elders. It's gonna take time. We're not just gonna rush right in and put somebody in the role of elder. We wanna see them serve. We wanna see them live out their lives as small group leaders or, or in the biblical soul care ministry or, or how they care for people, how they handle God's word, what they teach, what they do. Why? Because you wanna see, hey, is this life above reproach? Here's how we choose elders at Harvest. It's pretty easy. We look around and go, who's eldering right now? Who's living this out? The scripture says those who desire to be an elder. So it's also someone who would say, hey, I would like to do this. I would like to serve in this way. But, but it's a life above reproach. Now being above reproach, what it doesn't mean is sinless. It doesn't mean perfect. No one would ever be able to be a leader then. Jesus is the only one who ever met that standard. So, so perfection isn't our standard, but it means this, that the normal way of life, just the way the person lives out their life, the character of who they are, it's above reproach. They live what they teach. And this is so important for all of us, isn't it? That, that we would actually live out what we profess, that we would live out the gospel with the way we live our lives. Look at verse 10 of chapter two. It's, it's kind of the, the verse that I'm using to, to kind of paint over the whole sermon series. 
The second part of verse 10 says this, in everything that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. What's he saying there? That in every way you may adorn. It means make beautiful. That you would make beautiful the gospel. Do you do that with your life? I mean, would people look in on your life and say, Jesus has made such a difference on that person's life? Man, man, oh, or maybe they don't even know it's Jesus, but they're asking, hey, what's the hope you have within you? What is it about your life that's so different? So yes, is this for church leaders for sure, but think about in, in your area of life where you lead, because just about everybody here in this room, you have somebody that's following you in your family, in, in your workplace, in your school, in your friendship circles, here at church? Are you above reproach? If, if we're gonna do a, a reality TV show of your life and we're gonna take a camera and follow you 24 seven through the way you do your life, what would we see? What would we see in your life, a life that we wanna pursue and follow after? Our life matters. By God's grace, may God help us to live lives that, that, that reflect his glory, his goodness, his grace, and, and, and where we aren't, where, where there are gaps between what we profess and how we live, that we wouldn't leave those gaps in place, but we'd go to the cross. We would close out those gaps. We would repent. We would say, Lord, I don't, I don't want this in my life anymore, so I, I'm giving it to you, and, and, and I'm going to live in your forgiveness and your grace, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go in a different way. Now, Paul takes this idea above reproach, and he really breaks it down for us, and, and he says, hey, hey, here's what you need to see in your elders and your pastors. Verse 6 goes on. He says, they need to be the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Now, this doesn't mean that, that, that single guys can't be pastors. It doesn't mean that somebody who doesn't have any kids can't be a pastor. I mean, Paul, from, from all historical accounts, it would seem that he wasn't married. Jesus wasn't married. So if there's a standard we're going to put on what it is to be an elder or a leader, and Paul and Jesus can't meet the standard, probably not the right standard, Right? Now, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, he even says there are times in ministry where it's better to be single. Why does he say that? He says that because, because your life can, can be full into the ministry. You don't have another responsibility that you have to take care of. I, mean, I, I live this. When, when I was 23 and started a, a one-year discipleship school, I was a single guy. And man, it took seven days a week. It took long days and nights. It took a long time, years to get that thing going of living in that way. I couldn't have done it if I had a family. I wouldn't have been above reproach, right? Because I would have left my family behind. So there are times when being single, it's to your benefit. But I also see this. I see the, the, the wisdom in what Paul's saying here, what God's laying out for us. But how it's good to have a pastor who's got a family. Why? Because you can watch their life and, and how they walk out life, how they do life in a family setting. I mean, verse seven, it says, for an overseer, that's another word for elder, but I like the term there, overseer, because he says an overseer as God's steward. And it's God saying this, hey, hey, this is my church. This is what God's saying. God's saying, this is my church. These are my people, and I love these people. And he says to elders, you're just overseeing. You're just stewarding these people that I love. And so he says, he says hey, hey, why don't, you, why don't you steward? Why don't you oversee your little church first? What's your, your family? 
and, and if you can oversee the little church, then, then I'm going to give you the responsibility of the bigger church. But if you, can't, if you can't oversee, if you can't pastor the little church I've given you, then there's no way you should be pastoring the big church. 1 Timothy 3 says, if you can't manage your own household, how could you be expected to manage God's household? So how are you leading your little church? I would say this, dads, dads, your pastor dad at home. It's at home where you love and lead and teach. And, and, and you, Ephesians 5 says you wash your wife in the word. So, so you're studying God's word. You're, you're, you're talking God's word. You're leading your kids towards the gospel. How, how's that going? Every dad in this room, you're called to be the pastor of your home. So as we look at potential elders, we look closely at their family. Now, now, it doesn't mean that an elder's kids are perfect. You just need to come to my house and see my kids are sinners too, all right? You'll see my kids are not perfect. But, but what does it say here? It means that, that they respect their parents. They honor their parents. So the question you need to ask as you're, as you're in a church is, do, do my elders, do my pastors, do they love and lead their families well? What are they like in their family? And I gotta tell you this, I love pastoring this church. And I hope that God keeps me here for a long, long time. Until he calls me home, I wanna be here. Until he calls me somewhere else, I wanna be here because I, I love this, I love you. I just love being a part of what God's doing, but I'll, I'll say this, I, I love my family more. And why do I say that? I mean this, if I lose my family, this means nothing. Too many pastors have sacrificed their wife and their kids on the altar of a bigger, better ministry. So for me, I'm just gonna be open and honest with you. Here's what it means for me. It means I'm not gonna work every night of the week. I'm just not. It means I'm gonna enjoy hanging out with my family on my day off. It means I'm gonna love my wife. It means I'm gonna spend time doing the goofy things you do with your kids, playing charades and laughing your head off. I'm gonna do those things. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna love my family well. I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna be, no one's gonna do a movie about my life probably because it's gonna be this boring life of this guy just loves to hang out with his family. I don't care though why because I, I, I love my life with my family. And I would say this, if you have a desire to be a pastor or an elder, it needs to start there with your family. I mean, Paul says here, the husband of one wife, literally it means you're a, you're a one woman man. You're a guy who, who, who loves his wife to death. You, you're not looking anywhere else. You're, you're not flirting. Your mind isn't wandering. You're, you're, not, you're, not, you're not surfing the internet for porn. You're not doing any of that. Why? Because you're sacrificially loving and giving and leading and caring for and laying down your life for your wife. Again, too many pastors have, have given up this key of what it means to be an elder and they failed in this way, and churches have been hurt by pastors who failed this way. I gotta tell you, here, here's something I love about the elders of this church. I love to watch them with their wives. The, these guys love their wives. They, they, they lift up their wives. They value their wives. They sacrifice for their wives. I, now, I love watching that. I love it as a, as a guy who, who's younger, who's, who hasn't been married as long as some of our elders have been married, to go, man, that's what it looks like to continue to love Libby. 
to have my heart focus fully on her. Now, here's the thing. If you're single, what does this mean for you? It means that right now you're saving yourself to be a one-woman man. You're not wandering around. You're not, you're not looking to, to hook up with every girl in the church. You're, you're, not, you're not surfing places. You shouldn't be surfing the internet. You're, no, my heart right now is being trained up because I'm looking forward to the one that God has for me. And if, 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 if you're a woman, you're the same principle goes for you. You're a one-man woman. That's how you lead well. It begins there. The text then unpacks a little more, going deeper into what, is, what does it mean to be a transformed leader? So let's keep reading. Verse seven, for an overseer, God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant. What does that mean, not to be arrogant? It means an elder shouldn't be a know-it-all. You know, a good leader that, that, that teaches and leads and loves well also is humble and teachable. And if, if you struggle with arrogance, here's the best thing. The best remedy for arrogance is the gospel. It is so hard to stand proudly in front of the cross of Christ. I mean, let the sacrifice of Christ for your sin bring you to a place of humility and thankfulness and gratefulness. Transformed leader is not arrogant. Paul goes on, he says they're not quick-tempered. They're not quick-tempered. He says later on, they're, they're not violent. I mean, if, if, if you're somebody who's quick-tempered, you're, you're easily angered, I'm gonna tell you, being a pastor would be a very difficult place to find yourself because ministering to people, caring for people, it's like standing near a huge puddle. You're going to get wet, Right? We say this in biblical soul care all the time. Hurt people hurt people. People complain about the dumbest things. People argue about the dumbest things. If, you're, if your instinct as, as a person is like, like, you're always like, oh yeah, let's do this. It's on now. And you're dropping the gloves at every chance somebody comes against you or complains to you or presses in on you. Eldering is not for you. Secret is to be a transformed leader. I mean, I get it. Some guys love to argue, love to fight, love to fight all the time. I'm just saying you're not fun to be around. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, but I, but I, I just love to argue about doctrine. You know there's verses in here about love too, right? And about peace and about forgiveness and about grace. Now, in saying that, listen, there are times when elders need to be strong. Definitely, there are times when elders need to not be so, so laid back about things. There are times when elders need to stand up and boldly proclaim the truth. That's why Paul says in verse 9, you need to rebuke those who contradict the gospel. Because as a pastor, you're called to protect the flock. What does that mean? That doesn't just mean feeding and caring for the sheep. Sometimes it means dealing with wolves that would come in and seek to, to hurt and destroy. And a, as an elder, that's a strong call. And I'm not naturally a confrontational person, but I, I read in Scripture, and I'm called as a pastor, as a, as a shepherd, to care for, to protect the people that God's given me to protect. So, so yes, pastors and elders need to be strong. There are times for, for very strong words. There are times for hard decisions. Pray for your elders and pastors that, that, that we would stand in those times, that we would, we would be strong in those times. We wouldn't let those things just go by, that, that, 
we would stand up and fight when we're called to fight. But listen, listen, your life shouldn't be defined by anger and arguing and fighting and disagreeing. If you're like, yeah, I don't, I just, I just, I just like being the devil's advocate. What a horrible guy to advocate for. Why would we ever want to be that guy? My question is this, are you quick to listen? Are you, are you slow to speak? Are you slow to anger? The text goes on. It says not, not only are we not to be quick-tempered or violent, but it says in between there not to be a drunkard. Not, 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 not to be a drunkard. It means you're, you're free from being controlled by substances. If, if you need to use alcohol or other substances to, to cope with life, to function in life, I'm telling you, you're resting on, you're, you're going after the wrong Savior. Put your hope in Christ. We, we, we don't want to be controlled by those things. We, we want to give our lives and surrender to be controlled by Jesus Christ. And listen, I get it. People have different opinions on alcohol and elders. And, and, and here's something I, I'll say this. This is not debatable. This part right here, transformed leaders don't use alcohol to cope. Transformed leaders are not controlled by it. They're, they're not given to drunkenness is what this says not a drunkard. He goes on and he says this. He says, not, not greedy for gain. First Timothy says it this way, not a lover of money. Now, here's the thing. I love what money can do. I, mean, I love the fact that we can pay bills, that we can, we can, we can see ministry happen. We, we can see churches being planted uh, around Muskoka, Perry Sound, and into the nations, and, and that money can be used for that, that, that people are cared for. I love what money can do, but the problem is not when you love what money can do, but when you actually love money. When you're greedy, when, when you're addicted to money, when you're pursuing money, when all you think about is money. And, and in our culture, it's this, this weird thing that, that we actually get praised by our culture when we sacrifice for money. Wow, you're putting in overtime. Good for you. You're sacrificing your family to make more. Good for you. Why? Well, I want to get more money. Yeah, yeah, I know I won't see my wife and kids, but, but it's okay because I'm going to make more money. Listen, there's something more important than money. Working hard to make money is a good thing. We should do that. Scripture calls us to do that, but we do it for a purpose because something's more important than money, and that's people. And money is what we use to help people. People are the important thing, not, not, not our finances, not our money. And, and the money is there. It's a means to an end, Right? So what does that mean here at Harvest? It means because this is so important to us that, that we take this very seriously as leadership of your church. There, there are checks and balances to our checks and balances, right? We have an admin team and a finance team that keep track of every single penny that goes out of this church and comes into this church. We, we have eyes on our finances for people that, that, are, that are outside of our church. Every year, once a year, we have, we have accountants come in and do a full audit of how we use our finances and they write up a whole document to say, here's what you're doing. Here's some changes you need to make. Here's some things you're doing well. We take it seriously. In fact, I would say this, if you ever have any questions about how we handle the finances here at Harvest, please grab an elder or a deacon. Swing by the office. If you've got any questions, man, we just want to answer everything about this. Transformed leaders have a biblical view of money. As an elder, we need to be good stewards of the money that God's entrusted to us through you. 
As a transformed leader sitting here in the church, a transformed leader is a good steward with their money. A transformed leader is, is a generous leader. A transformed leader lives within their means so that God can use their finances for eternal purposes. A transformed leader uses their money. They don't love their money. Verses go on, verse eight says, they need to be hospitable. Hospitable, what's that mean? It, it literally means to welcome strangers. So my question is this, is, is your home a home that has a place for people, has room for people to come and, and visit and to hang out and to talk and to do life together? And, and I'll say this, when we first started our church, it looked a lot different than it does now for me personally. When we first started our church, I mean, we started with 18 people, right? And it, it, it didn't grow over 100 for a while. And so everything happened at my house. So party the pastor, you actually partied in the pastor's house. It was great, right? Small group leader training, it's at my house. We didn't have a building. We had no place to meet. Everything happened. Meetings. Then what happened, though? Now, now we've grown, and obviously it's changed a little bit. We're between two campuses, we're, we're probably around 700 people. And so for me to then meet with every single person in our church, like let's do lunch together. I mean, it would be like years before I get through everybody, right? And you're new to the church. Hey, what's 2021 look like for you? Because I think I got some space there, right? So we don't do it the same way anymore. What do we do? We, we, we all are involved in this. We all share the load of hospitality. In fact, I would say this, anyone you're a small group leader, you're a coach, you're a pastor, you're, you're someone who says, man, I'm leading in this church. Your home should be open. People should be in your home. Friends should be in your home. We call that fellowship. Strangers should be in your home. We call that hospitality. We're called to be hospitable. To invite people in our home and say, this is how I live. Let me do life with you. Paul then goes on in verse eight. He, he says, you, you need to be a lover of good. You, you need to be self-controlled. You need to be upright, holy, disciplined. This list he just lays out, and let, let me sum them up with these. I would say this, that whole list is this for me. It's someone who you would say, I wanna follow that person. I wanna live my life like they live their life. For me, I, I kind of think of it this way because it makes it even more practical for me. I think of it this way. If I were to die, who would I want my three daughters to follow. Right now, as a dad, it's my role, right? I'm the one, I'm the one saying, hey, hey, girls, I want, you to, I want you to do this. Hey, girls, I want you to follow me. I want you to, I want you to do as I do. That's my role as a dad. And, and to live in a way that my girls would say, I want to be like my dad. Or my girls say, I want to, I want to meet a guy once who, who's going to be like my dad. So I'd ask you this, dads, are, are, are you the man you want your son to be? Dads, are, are you the man you want your daughter to marry? Moms, are you the woman that you want your daughters to grow up to be like? Are, are you the woman that you would want your son to marry? I mean, that's what this list is saying. That, that's what a transformed leader is. It, it's someone who I would say to my kids, I would say, girls, watch that person. Live like they live. Follow them. And if I can't say that about somebody, they're not gonna be a pastor or an elder of our church. If I would want my own daughters to follow, then why would I want to put them in, in place for you, other people who I love dearly, and say, oh, but you guys can follow them. 
I mean, there are guys, I went to Bible school. There are guys I remember from Bible school who are, who are there because they wanted to become pastors. And now as a dad, as an older man, looking back with a little more wisdom, and I, I look at who these guys were. I mean, if they showed up at my door because they wanted to date my daughters, I mean, it would be difficult for me to hide the body. Like it would be, right, I just... So let me ask you again, do do you love your family? I mean, do you serve in your church? Do you you spend time studying the word? Do you spend time in prayer? Are you developing spiritual disciplines in your life? Do you you serve those around you? Do you give your time and effort to the gospel? Have you been transformed by the gospel? Are you noticing when, when God's laying out, here's what a, a good leader looks like? He spends so much time on character. Not one, he hasn't come to any skills yet. He hasn't come to any, and make sure they, they've been to seminary. Make sure that he hasn't said any of that yet. He's, he just keeps talking about your character, your character, your character. Why? Because it's character before competency. You could be the greatest leader. You could be the greatest teacher. You could be the greatest communicator. But, but listen, if, if you're going to be a gospel-led, if you're going to be a transformational leader, you first have to be concerned about character. And, and, and if there's a gap between what you say and how you live, man, we need to seek the Lord to close that gap. Close it this morning, Lord. If your private life doesn't match your public life, Begin to press in even now. Lord, what do I need to change? Charles Spurgeon, famous preacher, said this. He said, if I'm a soldier set to guard the army at a certain point, I know that every post in the whole line of soldiers is important. But I'm not to dream that mine is not so. If so, I may be inclined to sleep. And the foe may surprise the camp at the point which I ought to have guarded. I am to feel as if the whole safety of the entire camp depended upon me. He says this, at least I ought to be as zealous and watchful as if it were so. So as you you call yourself a member of this church family, you are called as a soldier on the, on linked arm in arm Say, we're here for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And and what Spurgeon is saying there, that every one of us should be living in a way that we would say, listen, I get it, that I'm not the only one here, that everybody else is doing the work as well. We're doing it together. But man, I should have the zeal and the passion as if it all depended on me and my character. I mean, this sermon is for sure about pastors and elders, but I, I hope that you would see that all of us are called to live out the gospel for the sake of each other. Our last point is much quicker. Our second point here is this. It's an elder's responsibility. So, so if all of that is an elder's and a, and a leader's character, what's the responsibility? Verse 9 says it. He must hold firm to the, to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and, be able to, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. What, what's, an, what's an elder's responsibility? It's right here. It's, it's to teach the word. It's to preach the gospel. An elder needs to be able to teach. It's, it's the one skill that, that if, you say, if you have all these gifts, and I'm, man, I'm pastoral, I love people, I, but I, I can't teach, I don't know the word well enough to, to preach it, then keep serving. 
Keep serving, keep, keep serving where you are, but, but uh, you won't be an elder. That This is the one thing that, that, that differentiates an elder from just a, any other kind of leader. An elder needs to be able to teach the word. Now, some elders will teach more publicly like I do to a bigger crowd. Some elders are gifted in small group settings or, or one-on-one. Here's what it means. It means this. Can you open up God's word and say, this is what God's word says? Can you teach it? It doesn't mean that everybody's going to be the greatest communicators, but, but can you clearly teach the word? I mean, Paul says you, you're called to rebuke. It, it means that you're going to challenge winsomely, but you, you can challenge bad doctrine. You're not just going to sit on the sidelines and just hope, well, I, I hope that everything turns out all right for that person. I, I hope as they listen to that bad doctrine, they can, they can kind of sift through it themselves. No, no, no. An elder stands up and goes, hey, hey, let me show you what good doctrine is. Let me show you what the gospel says, that it's not about religion. It's not about all this other stuff that you've tacked on to this. I mean, Titus was in Crete, which is a, a crazy, mixed up island, just sin and debauchery everywhere. And he was called to open up God's word and go, here's the way to live. At the same time, if you read later today, you should read the rest of chapter one, it wasn't just attack from the outside. There was attack from the inside. In the church, people laying out religion is the way to go and Judaism is the way. Hey, you need it. And Paul saying, Titus, defend the gospel. As we wrap up this morning, I'll be honest with you. Reading and studying this passage this week has been unbelievably convicting. I mean, it has felt like a surgeon's knife in my heart, digging down deeper and deeper, saying, well, what's it look like under here? I'm convicted of, of where I can tend to be a, a lazy husband or a, a lazy dad. I'm, I'm, I'm convicted of where I could become prideful or arrogant or where I'm, I'm undisciplined in my life. And, and here's my guess. I'm, I'm figuring for many of you today that you could hear this message and it could land on you like a dark cloud this morning. But I want to say this. Only Jesus meets all of this perfectly. And, and he met it all perfectly for you and for me. He, he met it perfectly for those of us who have failed at every point in this list. And, and because of that, th- through his death, his, his life, his death, and his resurrection, we get grace. We get the grace that changes us to be more like this. We get the grace that steps into when we're not for us to be able to bring that to Christ and his spirit to work in us, to transform us every day more and more to look like Jesus, to live this out. And 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, so know this today, because Jesus died and rose again, there is forgiveness in these areas. If you hear some of these, you're like, man, that's not me at all. That Jesus steps in and goes, but I can take care of that for you. This is why the gospel is such good news, because there's hope for us. There's hope when we're below reproach. There's hope when our families are a train wreck. There's hope when when we're arrogant. There's hope when we're quick-tempered. There's hope when we're drunks. There's hope when we're violent or greedy or unwelcoming. There's hope when we love evil more than good. There's hope when we live lives without control, when we're unjust, when we're unholy, when we're undisciplined, when we don't believe, when we don't trust in God's word. There's hope. Why? Because Jesus lived and died and rose again. The key to, uh, to our church is pretty simple. It's this, that, that Jesus is God. Jesus is in charge. 
And then elders and pastors need to follow Jesus. And then the people in the church follow elders as they follow Jesus. That's why Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. It's really all a leader is. A leader is someone who says, I'm just giving my whole life to follow Jesus. And other people, as they follow them, in the end, we're all following Jesus. He's our senior pastor. He's the chief shepherd. He's our savior. He's our redeemer. He's the one who started this church. He's the one who will give us the grace we need to follow him. He's the one who forgives us of our sin and our brokenness and our shame when we don't. He's the one who fills us with his spirit to enable us to follow him right to the very end. Amen. And if you try, you will fail. But if you turn to Jesus, he'll forgive you and he'll enable you to be what you could never be on your own. We're going to end off the service as the ushers come forward. As the worst team comes up, we're going to end off with a time of communion. It's time for us to remember Christ's death. It's time for us to, to take our lives as we lay it over top of this passage and we see those, those gaps in our life where, I mean, I'm not living this out. We can admit to God who sees and knows everything already. We can say, here's where I fall short. Here's where I need to change. And then as you hold the bread and the cup, it's getting passed out right now. As you hold the bread and the cup, Grab both as it goes by. They're stacked on top of each other. As you hold the bread and the cup, you're holding a reminder. Where you can hold on to this and you can admit, Lord, there's a gap in my life. I I can never achieve this on my own. It says, as you hold the cup that represents Christ's blood, as you hold the bread that represents his body, that in the moment you can, you can call out and say, Lord Jesus, because of your sacrifice, I know I can bring this to you. I can admit clearly where I fall short and where I need to change. And, I, and, and that in that moment, you can also accept the provision that Christ makes for you. Maybe you feel like you're so far gone Listen, in this moment, as we're about to celebrate Christ's body and his blood given for us, listen, you can call out to Jesus right now. Jesus is alive and he can change you. He can redeem you. He can, he can give you new life. So what does that mean? It means if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you've never given your life to him, that this morning, this morning, you can call out to him even right now and say, Lord, I need to give you my life. I need to give you my heart, that, that my life has not been following after you. I've, I've never followed after you, but this morning, this morning, I want to give my heart to you, that I'm a sinner in need of salvation. I need your grace, that this morning, you can pray that. This morning, you can say, I want to follow Jesus. And that this morning, you could take communion for the first time as someone who communion means something. If you know Christ and you see that your life isn't living in this way, that before you take the bread, before you take the cup, and we're going to do it together in a moment, I want to give you time, though, as we remember Christ's sacrifice, that this morning, take care of the gap. Stand before the cross again and say, Lord, here's where I'm not living this out. Lord, I I saw myself in this list and it's, it's not good.
Satan wants to keep you in defeat, wants to keep shame on you in this moment, but instead you can turn to the cross and say, thank you, Jesus, that you've taken care of all of this. You've called me to something different, that you're filling me even now, that you'll enable me to live this out by your grace, and where I don't, I can run quickly back to you, that you would do that this morning. says in scripture on the night he was betrayed he broke the bread and he gave it to his disciples and he said this is my body given for you eat this in remembrance of me let's eat together it says in the same way he took the cup and he said this is the cup of the new covenant I love that this this is the cup that says that, that your sin no longer defines you that the blood of Christ has washed away all of the shame and sin, that this morning you can walk out of here different, that every day you can be different as you turn back to that new covenant where Christ says, I drank the full cup of wrath so you can drink the cup of new life. He says, drink this in remembrance of me. Let's drink together. Would you stand with me as I pray before we sing? Lord Jesus, I, I, I thank you for the truth of the gospel because, because the, the standard you've given for holiness is, is a high standard. The standard you've given for elders and pastors is extremely high. Lord Jesus, without you, without your grace, none of us could attain that. But Lord, by your grace, may we each press into the call of the upward call of, Lord, of our Lord Jesus Christ. where there are gaps in how we live to what we say, Lord, that we would quickly repent. Father, that we would each live lives that adorn the good news of the gospel, that people would look in and would see the beauty of the gospel in our lives, not because of our perfection, but because of our love for you. And where we fail, we turn quickly to live a life that's worthy of the gospel to which we've been called. And I thank you for your spirit that enables all of this. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.